Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Amanda Bible Williams, and I'm flying solo today, but I have two very special guests with me today. Sam and Tony Collier are here to talk about week two of our This Is The Church series. If you aren't familiar with the Colliers, you are in for a treat. Tony is the founder of an organization called Broken Crayon Still Color. How much do you love that name? Where she helps women process through brokenness and get to hope. She is the author of an upcoming book that will release this fall called Brave Enough to be Broken. And she's married to Sam. Sam is an Atlanta area pastor. He's the founder of a ministry called Greater Story. And he also has a podcast by that name. And his book is called A Greater Story, which I encourage you to check out. Sam and Tony and I just open these passages of scripture that you all are going to read this week where there are different metaphors that describe the church and who the church is in relationship to God and to each other and their unique perspectives and gift for articulating what they're learning from scripture is just such a blessing and I really think you're going to get so much out of this episode so hang in there it's a little bit longer than usual but I think you're going to want to listen to every moment let's get to it Tony and Sam Collier, welcome to the Shiri's Truth Podcast. We did it. Here we are. Here we are. We made it. (laughs) That was a very Monday woo, I feel like, that we just gave. We're like, woo. Caffeine hadn't hit the veins yet. We just kind of wooed our way right through that. (laughs) I told one of the girls in our office, I was like, I feel like I'm not awake, which is a shame because I've been awake for three hours and I still feel like I'm asleep. (laughs) Yep. Same. Same. All right. Went through carpool and everything. Didn't work. Didn't fall asleep in the car line. Always a plus. Come on. Always a plus. Well, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. Very sad that my compadre, Rachel, is not with us. She has met you face-to-face in person, but this is my first time to meet you guys. I'm so thankful you're here. Glad to be here, and I love that word, compadre. (laughs) We don't use it enough, Sam. We don't. I mean, it was like, man, this is Phoenix rising from the ashes. (laughs) <laughs> well, we are going to talk about the church today. So we are compadres. That could be another word that we use. That didn't make it into the reading plan, but next time, next time. Next time. But it did make it into the podcast. <laughs> so that's good. Well, we're so glad, so glad that you're here. I am somewhat familiar with you guys and your ministry and your work, both together and individually, and I would love it if you could, you know, we're talking about the church, the capital C Church in this series. This is week two of our This is the Church series, and so I would love it if you could each just take a minute and give us kind of a snapshot of where you sit in the capital C church? Like what, what has your experience been and what is that your role in the church looks like for you? Because you have arrived at this place today in different ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tony, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. I'll hop on in. I was giving Sam the baton. Yeah. So I started off as a youth pastor in the church, which is a little wild to think about now that we're a little bit older and not as cool, but (laughs) <laughs> started off as a youth pastor, started working for a fellowship of Christian athletes, speaking to middle schoolers and high schoolers, had a really hard season with divorce and abuse and trauma and mm. thought I would never actually go back to the church. 
I thought I was going to go and live my nonprofit life, do some things in the world. And God just called me right on back to the church and got to hop on stage with North Point Community Church under the leadership of Andy Stanley and start using my voice again. God redeemed my voice in the church. And then I started really praying about it and I felt God kind of leading me to women. And I was like, what is that even? I don't know what you're talking about. I have three older brothers. My dad was really like stern and he's yeah. a boy dad all the way. So I'm like, I don't think I want to go with women. They make my pit sweat. Okay. <laughs> but he did. And, and it's been beautiful. And so I get to run an organization now called Broken Crayons Still Color, where we essentially just help women process through trauma and brokenness and pain and abuse and divorce and all the things. And it's beautiful because I kind of am in this parachurch space where I get to support the local church in filling gaps, you know, filling gaps of intentionality and one-on-one healing and trauma. And so, yeah, that's what I get to do. Oh, that's beautiful, Tony. I love that. I love the name of your organization so much because the name itself, it's like a mini sermon and it's an encouragement and it's like, it's bold. I love it so much. That's beautiful. I'm so thankful. Thank you, Jesus, for pursuing Mm. Tony's heart and bringing her back into the church. She Reads Truth kind of inhabits that parachurch ministry space. And it is such a privilege to do work that supports the local church. That is such a a call on our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Sam, what about you? Wow. Well... I, again, am honored and elated to be in the building today. And my church history is vast. (laughs) I um, am now in the lead pastor space. And so I'm pastoring a church here in the city of Atlanta. But it did not start there. I gave my life to Christ around 16 under uh, the leadership of a bishop named Bishop Eddie Long. Church was called New Birth. And um, it's still moving today. It's now under the leadership of Dr. Jamal Bryant. But when I was there, it was a 25,000-member African-American church. And I jumped on staff maybe a few years later when I was over young adults, high school, middle school, praise teams, choirs, bands, some environments, a ton of stuff. Got licensed in ministry. Then we went through a scandal, and we dropped down from about 25,000 to 3,000 in a year. And after that, kind of went on a little bit of a wandering journey, as uh, I love when Tony references the idea of being restored, the idea of being broken, but God still using you in your brokenness. And so now pastoring a church in the city of Atlanta and excited to be here. Wow. What a journey. My goodness. (laughs) You all represent a lot of life lived. For two young That is a good way to put it. <laughs> That's a great way to a lot of life live. Yeah. That's it right there. I'm so encouraged already just <laughs> hearing because there's this thread of in your stories and also in the way you tell your stories of God's faithfulness and pursuit, not just of you individually, but you know, you as a couple and the church, you know, talking about the Capital C Church today of just how, you know, the church is made up of broken crayons, right? Like, it's made up of us, of humans, and but we are not the ones writing the story. <laughs> and so the Lord redeems 
in and through us. And so it's just, I'm so excited. Thank you for sharing all that with us. It helps us to just kind of know, you know, who we're who yeah. we're talking to. And just in talking about the church, you know, there's a lot of talk of how, and we'll talk about it this week, of the body of Christ, that we are many, but we are also one. And so to know and learn and celebrate the unique place and journey of each one of us in the body, I think, is something we often miss out on. So I'm excited to start our conversation that way. So last week, Rachel and I were joined by our editorial director, Ms. Jessica Lamb, um, for week one of this. And Jessica leads our editorial team here at She Reads Truth. And they, of course, have their hands all in the creating of every reading plan that we do. So last week, we kind of set the stage for what it is we're doing in this study. And so I'll just recap that briefly. We are There are a few things that we're not doing, (laughs) and that is that we're not exploring different denominations or different types of church structure or organization. Like What we're really doing is looking to Scripture to say, what is the church? And so we are looking to Scripture to tell us about the nature of the church, the purpose, the mission, the function. And so that is what we're doing. And we talked last week about how the church is all of these kind of seemingly contradictory terms, right? The church is visible, but it's also invisible. It's present, but it's also historic. You know, it spans not just the globe, but through time, through history and future, like the capital C church. And we also talked about how it's holy instead of part, but as we've already talked about a little bit, imperfect. You know, we are completely made of broken, flawed humans. So this week, we are stepping into week two, and the titles of our reading days actually offer some answers to the question, what is the church? And so this week, we'll talk about how the church is the bride of Christ, the church is the body of Christ, the church is the shepherd's flock, the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the church is the temple of the living God. So no big deal, really small topics that we're going to talk about for just a few minutes. <laughs> but I'd love to just start with reading some scripture. Are you guys game? Let's do it. I'm in. Let's do it. Now, our day eight is the church is the bride of Christ. So this is, I think, one of the most interesting metaphors, right, that scripture uses to define and describe the church. And if you guys have your study books, um, you all listening, every reading day has kind of a summary statement. So I'm going to read that for us. And then, Sam, if you're up for it, I'm going to tag you in to read some scripture. This summary statement is, Scripture illustrates the relationship between Christ and His church through the imagery of a wedding. As the bridegroom, there's a word we don't use a whole lot now, as the bridegroom, Christ loves provides for and sacrifices himself for his bride, who responds to his love in preparation and submission. Another fun word that we love, submission. (laughs) Always fun to talk about on a podcast, right? Let's dig into that. Let's read from Ephesians 5, 
Tony, would you read for us Ephesians 5? Let's do 22 through 32. But before we start, like you all, as you read this reading day, you're going to notice the context of this is really important, that Paul isn't just launching into this passages about wives and husbands. It's preceded by a passage you may be familiar with where it talks about how that in the church we are to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing and make music with your heart. But there's this at the end of that in verse 21, it says submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So the context is submitting to one another. And then we get this passage that Mm -hmm. Tony's going to read. Yeah, it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Now in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body. Now for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two Will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Hmm. Come on, Paul. Come on, Paul. I love it when Paul gives us just like, this is a mystery. First of all, thank you for acknowledging that, Paul. This mystery is profound, but I appreciate that. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Yeah. <laughs> like those moments where he just really clearly says, guys, guys, here's the point of this mm. is I'm talking about Christ and the church. Sam, this is obviously written in the first century, and we are not in the first century. (laughs) Help us kind of understand the significance of this metaphor to their ears and how it kind of ties, like it's not just a New Testament metaphor. I mean, marriage is a covenant, you know, all through the Old Testament too, right? Wow. I mean, I just want to publicly say, you started with us and get, you came in hot. I just, <laughs> we have come in hot. Just, it's, like, it's how we roll. Let's, let's talk about submission. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I often talk about this idea of submission and marriage lately. I've been talking about it a lot, especially as I've stepped into the lead pastor, kind of senior pastor role. You find yourself with couples helping them think through what, mm-hmm. you know, Paul is discussing in terms of what one would consider order, right? This is the order of the day. right? And within that, I often have to draw the distinction between lording over and all of these other things and what this actually means. But the beauty of it is what I tend to focus on is the responsibility that the man has to lay down mm. his life for the yeah. family. Amen. And therefore, out of that place comes the order that at the end of the day, yes. I believe we're being held responsible, all of these other things. It's not about lording over. It's about doing what we have to do to make sure the family becomes what it needs to mm-hmm. become. 
And out of this place, there's a sense of extreme love and extreme sacrifice. And I love this analogy as it talks about, you know, we compare marriage to, you know, Christ, our relationship with Christ in the church, that we would be connected to him in a way like never before. But more than that, we would understand that the power in submission, it comes from the sacrifice that he did for us, that he is worthy of being submitted to yes. because of what he's been able mm. to do. So we can go down this road for a long time, but. I want to say something. That's so too, good. So the people don't think I'm crazy. <laughs> this is a touchy subject, but one of the things that I love that Sam just said is that Christ is worthy to be submitted to. Yeah, There is a sacrifice. There is an unconditional love. And by no means am I comparing Sam to Jesus because I do understand that he's not my savior, but being in a, you know, a really hard and toxic and abusive marriage compared to this healthy, beautiful, fun marriage that I'm in with Sam, there was a really distinct difference between the relationship that I had with my ex-husband and the relationship I have with Sam. There is a sense of sacrifice that Sam, I mean, is postured in. I mean, he's just wired to sacrifice. He is wired to give. He is wired to protect. He is wired to love me unconditionally and to really just be the hands and feet of Jesus in our home and in our marriage. And out of that place, because he says, I'm sorry first, he sacrifices first because I'm a little bit feisty out of that place, because as the leader, he goes first, just as Jesus went first for us, there is a response in me that says, man, I really want to serve this man. I really want to submit to his authority. I trust his leadership. And I really think that's what Christ did for us. He went first. And now there's this beautiful relationship that has a firm foundation on Christ's love that we now get to submit ourselves to. And Submit is a crazy word, y'all, but I want to submit myself to healthy spaces, healthy places, healthy people, people that will cover and protect and sacrifice and go first. And so I just think that's beautiful. That is such a key part of this, right? That we are talking about, like Paul says, I am talking about Christ and the church. And that it not only like, okay, so we need to think about this rightly and that who Christ is and that Christ is worthy of being the head of the church and that the church is beautiful and is already beautiful and being made beautiful Mm. as the bride of Christ. And this image is so deep. This imagery that God's Word uses is so layered. Even, you know, looking to the Old Testament imagery of Israel as God's bride. And now in the New Testament, you know, the church as the bride of Jesus. And it is just so lovely. I don't know if you know this about us, Tony, but Rachel and I can't not read from Revelation if it's in front of us. Okay, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> it is what it is. It is. And so this, of course, we see the marriage metaphor in Revelation. Mm. Sam, would you read that passage from Revelation 19, 6 through 9? Of course. I love this. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, 
and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. Mm. Oh, praise the Lord. That's the word of the Lord, y'all. That is the word of the Lord. That was good for me. That was good. And that's a, you're an excellent scripture reader there, Sam Collier. <laughs> it's one of our favorite parts of the podcast is getting to make our friends read scripture aloud because it's so beautiful. I'm so thankful for the imagery, like for metaphors that scripture uses, because like Paul said, like this mystery is profound. <laughs> and to use these earthly terms that we know like marriage and feast and the garments that the bride is wearing and use that to describe this moment, right, when Jesus is returning and the marriage feast of the Lamb has finally come and there that we're invited to. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And so I didn't realize our team is so our team is brilliant and they do a lot of study in creating the reading plans, but they also kind of help us along as podcast guests and say like, hey, did you know this about marriage in the first century, for example? And so in, you know, in marriage in the Old Testament that the, the betrothal period, you know, was, and we're used to that language, like, you know, I think of the nativity and, and you know, that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. And so the betrothal period in the Old Testament being the period that preceded, is still a period of covenant and commitment, but preceded the actual marriage. And so that we, the church, is the bride of Christ, that we are betrothed to Jesus and the marriage and the marriage feast will happen at His return. And I just... I hadn't thought of that in reading this before, but what a glorious thought. All right, friends, we're going to take a quick break from this excellent episode because I want to tell you about one of the She Reads Truth podcast sponsors. And here's the deal. I was asked to record an ad today about our sponsor, Orate. Y'all have probably heard me talk about them before, but I will tell you, I was delighted to be asked to talk about Orate because I showed up at the office today wearing my Orate gold curb chain necklace. And that is no coincidence because I wear it every single day. So they asked me to talk about Orate easy as pie. I love this brand. It's founded by two women. They are so behind everything they make. It's excellent quality. Everything's got a lifetime warranty. It's actual gold. So you can wear it in the shower. You can wear it when you work out. I wear usually about three necklaces a day, and this is the one that never comes off. So if you want me to talk about Orate, that is what I will tell you. And here's the deal. They love our listeners and they support our podcast, which I'm also so thankful for. Here's the deal. If you want to wear the gold curb chain necklace like me or shop at their site and see what works for you, they're offering She Reads Truth podcast listeners 20% off your first Orate purchase. So just go to oratenewyork.com slash she reads truth. That is A-U-R-A-T-E newyork.com slash she reads truth. 
and use promo code SHEREADSTRUTH. That's 20% off, no minimum spend. And here's the deal. They don't always have discounts and definitely not this high. So go check it out while you can. This is the best offer out there and it is exclusively for y'all. So once again, go to oratenewyork.com. That's A-U-R-A-T-E, newyork.com slash SHEREADSTRUTH and use promo code SHEREADSTRUTH to get 20% off. And you can get a necklace that you will love as much as I love mine. As you may have heard, She Reads Truth is celebrating a big birthday this year. It is our 10th birthday, and to celebrate 10 years of reading God's Word together, we are joining the movement to get Scripture translated, not just into our language, we've got it, but we're getting it translated into every language for every person on earth. Oh, that makes me so happy. What a good birthday present. Okay, Rachel, I don't, you may have known, I did not know that there are more than 1 billion, with a B, people around the world with little or no access to scripture in their language. But now, thanks to Illuminations, which is an organization that links the arms of various Bible translation organizations around the world, we have the opportunity to help end Bible poverty by the year 2033. In our lifetime. Lord willing. That's incredible. Yeah. On average, y'all, it costs $35 to translate one verse of scripture. So if you want to join Amanda and me and the She Reads Truth community in a big birthday push and a way to say thank you for the fact that we have scripture in our language. Mm -hmm. If you want to join us, you can give a one-time gift or you can sign up for the 12 verse challenge to give $35 every month for a year. And that funds 12 verses of scripture into a brand new translation. Oh, I'm so excited about this. Okay. We have a goal of having 1,000 women, 1,000 of you donate with us. We're donating too. I think it's going to be 5,000, but sure. We'll start with 1,000. Our stretch goal is 1,000. Our heart goal is (laughs) 5,000. And be part of the generation that helps translate scripture for every people group around the world. Will you join us? Will you help us celebrate God's faithfulness to this community of Bible readers by making it possible for more women and men around the world to be Bible readers. To be in the Word of God every day. That's right. Here's how you do it. You go to 12vc.com slash she reads truth. That is 12vc.com slash she reads truth to be a part of the movement. You're going to see it moving. We say movement because we mean it. You're going to see numbers going up because y'all are amazing and y'all are thankful and y'all are giving and generous and taking the good news of Christ to the ends of the earth. Let's go. All right, let's get back to the show. Well, y'all, we probably want to talk about submission longer, (laughs) but let's turn the page. (laughs) Oh, but before we do, that Revelation 22, 17, where we talk about this feast, this feast, Rachel likes to talk about y'all come moments Mm. in Scripture, and that's what this reminds me of. This in verse 17, both the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Mm. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. Mm. Yes, please. Yes, I yes, want Lord. it. Ready? Can I All just right. say something about yes. this? Yes, yes, I accept. One of the things Please I want to throw at this that's so ironic to me here and really powerful is that, you know, in today's culture, marriage, if, you know, you, you keep saying, you know, come, come, 
come, right? We're being invited into this beautiful marriage connection and covenant yes. with the Lord Jesus Christ, with our Savior, with our Father in heaven. We're being invited to something beautiful. And it's wild to me that they're using marriage as the foundational piece and the foundational word here. But when we think about today's culture, culture yeah. is constantly saying, mainstream culture, get away from marriage, right? It's like marriage is not popular. Mm. Don't get married. This is the thing. Marriage mm-hmm. is on is on attack. This idea of covenant and coming into one and blah, 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 blah. But for me, it's so powerful mm-hmm. here that marriage, again, is now being lifted up as something beautiful, a marriage between Christ and his church, the marriage that can happen between us and God. And so it's just beautiful to me. And and it's paradoxical in a sense that the world would say, let's run away from marriage. But God is saying, let's run towards marriage, but a specific marriage, a marriage Mm -hmm. between him and his children. I don't want to get too far gone on here, but that's all right. But I, Sam, I love what you said about it's a specific type of relationship. It's one with guardrails. It's one with grace and the representation of who Jesus really is. And I found it very interesting when you started to talk about first century marriage, because at the end of that service, if you will, the celebration, then the groom blesses over the Torah and uses that as a guide for the marriage because they're not just out there being willy-nilly, okay? But there is a way mm-hmm. forward. And I just think it's so beautiful that the bride of Christ isn't us just kind of doing what we want to do and creating these systems and being these broken people and perpetuating brokenness, but there's a guide. There's a way for us to do this. Yeah. And I just think that's such a beautiful thing. I was just thinking about getting ready for marriage. It's beautiful. Yeah, thank God. And this metaphor is, I mean, it's in God's word. It's obviously used intentionally. Then it indicate, you know, it indicates covenant and faithfulness Faithful, and yeah. fidelity. And you're right, Sam, like covenant is not necessarily the way we think of marriage today. Or if it is, we think of it as something that is not desirable. But the the freedom mm. And the, I'm trying to think of what the noun version of this is, but like the being known that is Mm. available to us in the context of that type of relationship that God establishes, right? And that His faithfulness is actually Mm. the one that upholds the covenant, because our faithfulness fails, right? But Scripture tells us that when we are faithless, that He is still faithful. Mm. It is. It's beautiful. Those words... I want to rediscover those words in our culture, fidelity and faithfulness. Well, I know yeah. somebody. And I do, I mean, I know we got to get off this topic, but <laughs> covenant, that word covenant. We don't okay. have to do anything. <laughs> but that word covenant is beautiful. I love what you said again, right? Culture is drawing us away from covenant because many of us have mm-hmm. jumped into covenant mm. and covenant hurt us. Because it wasn't stewarded well. So there's this fear of, man, well, if I, because the idea of covenant, it's, you know, <laughs> I don't think y'all talk about Harry Potter here, but there's something in Harry Potter that talks about the unbreakable vow, right? Like, it's like, but it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Covenant is almost in a sense, like, you know, when we marry people 
And I've got couples, you know, at the wedding altar and we're talking. It's like, man, this is a vow, a solemn vow. We don't take this lightly. Mm -hmm. This is something we're not. This isn't just a promise. This isn't just an agreement. This isn't just a contract. This is a vow. John Piper talks about marriage as a representation, to your point, Christ and the church. But again, it's like Mm -hmm. he describes marriage. And again, we have so many reasons why people get out of marriage and all of that. And we can go down to biblical reasons. But at the core, it's like, man, this is a covenant and this is not something easy you can get out of. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you're giving it your all. This is a massive commitment. And people are afraid to jump into these massive commitments because of the vulnerability that comes with it. It's like, I'm opening myself to you. I'm giving you my Mm -hmm. all and people that have been hurt in it. But what Christ is now saying is you won't be hurt in this. Mm -hmm. I got you. This is a covenant that you can trust. And so I just, it's just beautiful that we can remember that and that we can know, man, this doesn't matter how many promises have been broken in my life, how many agreements that I've had that people haven't lived up to, you know, how many things I've been a part of that has almost destroyed me that has pushed me away from giving my all to something Mm. again, I can give my all to this because it's safe, because he's safe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good, Sam. Well, it's such a good transition into the next day's reading, which is the church is the body of Christ. Another thing that naturally we don't necessarily lean into, right? but that it's just the beauty of the way that God has established the church. And so the summary here says that Paul uses the metaphor of the human body to describe the relationship between Christ and the church. As the head of the body, Christ unifies the individual parts that serve distinct purposes. And this is something that you all modeled so beautifully in your ministry and have really devoted so much of your personal ministries to seeing this you know, part of the kingdom come to bear on earth. And so I'm excited to read some of this with you all. I'm going to read from us first, just from Ephesians 4. This is 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, Paul and his prepositional phrases, like it's like there's so much (laughs) in those two sentences, but that notion of, you know, I feel like we're, yes, we are the body of Christ. Like that's something that in the church we say, but really reading again what that means and understanding that, you know, of having a proper understanding of that, that this is not just any old body. (laughs) This is Christ is the head and we are growing into him. So that is kind of those two verses from Ephesians is sort of the big picture, right, of what's happening. And then you get a passage like 1 Corinthians 12 where it starts to get detailed, right? That we are all different parts and the different parts have different functions and you can't do without one another. You can't just say, I don't I don't want you. Right hand says the left hand. Like we can't do that. That's not how we were created. Do we want to read more of this? Sam, teach, teach us. us. Teach yeah. us here. Oh man, the body of Christ. Can we just park at the beginning <laughs> for a second? But speaking the truth in love, let us grow 
in every way into him. Okay, let's just stop here. Mm-hmm. Let us grow mm-hmm. into him. See, I'm just getting excited. I feel like I'm on stage at church. Like it's let us grow into him. And I'm going to throw it to Tony in a second on this mm-hmm. because I think she's an incredible example in all of us, right? But her story, Broken Crayons, all of this, it's a story of yeah. one being healed through brokenness and then making the decision to grow into Christ, to grow into him. And it's this idea, yeah. I love this. I know we're going to talk about spiritual gifts and some other things and you know everything that God's given us to grow each other into him. But it is this idea of being mm-hmm. reformed, reshaped, reimagining a yeah. new life, a new world, being a mind renewal that our life, I mean, that's really our life, right? It's a journey after we get saved, give our life to Christ. It is a journey for us to continuously grow into him. And we know we'll, we'll never reach the destination, but we are running after the destination and we're getting closer and closer to it. And mm-hmm. as we get closer to the destination, we become more like him. And as we become more like him, our life gets better. Our life changes. Our mind yeah. is renewed. The world is made right, right? I love this statement. You know, what does it mean to remake the world? Well, I think remaking the world means being remade ourselves into what Christ wants us to be, but it's a journey. And But I love that notion as the body of Christ, mm-hmm. together we are being remade, reformed, reshaped. We are on a consistent journey into becoming more like him and it's our life's existence. And so Tony, can you please, because you do mm-hmm. this so well, right? Every day you're like, I want to be more like God. I want to be more like Christ. I want to grow in more. Listen, Sandra, telling all of my business, okay? <laughs> it is true. I do think I wake up every day. I'm like, Lord, don't let me mess this up. I just, let me just be more like you. What I love so much about this is number one, I love that we don't all have to be the same to be a part of the body yes. of Christ. I think that's such a beautiful thing. And I think it's beautiful because when you begin, and we say this a lot at Broken Crayons, it's, you know, one story isn't powerful enough to convince people, even the depths of their brokenness, especially in the depths of their brokenness, that Christ can do anything. Because if it's just one story, one ethnicity, one background, one way, one gender, then we kind of put God in a box that says he can only heal in this way. He can only use this story. He can only build his church with these types of people. But when we begin to Mm -hmm. welcome all the different parts of the body, and even 1 Corinthians goes on to talk about this idea of the weaker parts and being able to tend to the weaker parts and, you know, being able to, I know in my brokenness, I needed some people to tend to me that were in the church. I needed them to remind me that the fact that I could be whole through Christ. And now I get to kind of repay that when I see other women who are struggling and other men who are, you know, going through a tough time. And I just think we can't do that. And can't is a strong word, maybe, but I think I'm going to put a stake in the ground here. I just don't know how well we can do that without first growing into Christ. Yes. I don't have the wherewithal, the human capacity to help mend together the whole body of Christ. But if a whole bunch of us growing into an upward vertical worship into Christ are all going in that same direction, 
then we start to build a more unified body that honestly doesn't look like us, even in all of our difference, but it looks like Christ. And that's when the fun starts. Yes, right? man. It makes me think about the power of small groups, the power of community. Mm. Oh, yeah. Right, like the body. Oh, yeah. Like the body. I mean, if we make it simple, the body of Christ coming together to help one another grow into him in a greater way. That there's something. I love this phrase. Yes. There's Sometimes there's more caught than taught. Right. The whole more caught than taught phrase. And one of the reasons I love that phrase is because we see this principle in action in a way like never before. Just when you see not necessarily it could be non-believers or even new believers getting around seasoned believers as the body of Christ, something starts to happen. They start to catch certain things. Oh my gosh, This the way that you speak is softer. The way that you think is more hope-filled. You, and when we start to catch these things as we come together, as we are spending time with one another, as we, and we become more like him. This, the, this power in community, power in collective unity. I mean, I can go on forever about just you know this small group idea, this community idea, and, and how it truly helps yes. us become better. Yes. And the differences are by design. Like our creator made us that way, right? So here, look at this section in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18. But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Mm. And what you'd said, Tony, about the weaker part, verse 22 says that the parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. Yep. So like we can't, all of the ways that we're used to categorizing ourselves in our society today, it's all just kind of goes out the window. It's like, that's no, you're growing into Christ and all of these ways that you're trying to lay, like the differences are so beautiful and we try really hard. I don't, I understand, but I also don't understand why we fight so hard against those two verses of like, why are you trying to all be the same? That wouldn't even functionally work. work. Well, I think it's comfort. I think it's comfort. I think we are comfortable in the familiar. I think change is hard for us. Yeah. And I mean, if we're just going to be a hundred percent real, I just don't think we've handled difference well. And this is something that I really love that Sam's talking about and modeling in the church here in Atlanta. You know, Sam has a small, Sam, you can probably talk more about this, but you know, we talk about small groups. We talk about these different ways. I remember Sam's vision around small groups was quite different from other churches when you first build a small group, oftentimes you go by zip code, area, city. And what happens is you start to get the same types of people in the same class in these small groups doing life together. And yes, it's beautiful. And they're chasing after Jesus together. But then we kind of forget about this first Corinthian scripture where it's, how do you actually Mm -hmm. form a group and relationship with people that are different than you? And now our church here in Atlanta has what's called community groups where instead of identifying by where you live and how much you make, you're identifying by the season of life that you're in. So then you're getting a whole bunch of women who are with toddlers, not with toddlers, single, this and that, and they kind of start to lean into difference. Well, I think the early church did that so well 
because it talked about it continually. Yeah. Who are who's at your table? How are you leaning into the orphan and the widow? And mm-hmm. how are we all coming together? And I just think we have to be super intentional about that. And we haven't. And those small little structures and models have, I think, kind of drawn us away from the pureness and the intentionality of being different in the church. And we can fix that, you know, if Mm -hmm. we get super intentional about it. I think to your point, Bay, I think that when we talk about diversity, I don't want to use the word inclusion, right? It starts to take us down this road. But when we talk about our difference, and I love in this passage that God made us all different, right? And we know that mm-hmm. even, you know, by the color of our skin at times, right? We see, it's like, oh man, you're lighter, you're darker, you're here, you're there, you're browner, you're brighter, whatever it is. We do mm-hmm. see the difference that we have. But the beauty in it is that God made us that way on purpose, But the greatest thing that I found in diversity is that no matter where we come from, no matter how we look, no matter what our unique gifts are, so on and so forth, each one of the pieces here, when they come together, they make us and they make the world and they make the church stronger. Yes, we can agree on that. And it is amazing. And I I don't want to get too granular here. I mean, since we started with submission, I feel like we can talk about anything. So, <laughs> and so for, for me, it's like, you know, I grew up in the black church and it was amazing. And there were things about the black church that I love. And we mentioned Tony and myself, both we essentially left the black church and went over to a predominantly white church. And we learned so many things there and it was amazing. There were a few things, I mean, a few conclusions that I arrived at after being in both churches, which is why we've decided to build the type of church that we have now. And it was this, that I saw things in each church that the other church didn't have. And Mm -hmm. I said, whoa, this is beautiful. What if we could take the beauty from this world and the beauty from this world and put it together to make something new? And I fell in love with both cultures and all cultures. And I just discovered we are better together because we're stronger. And God made us different on purpose. The other thing I want to say about our difference is this. God has wired all of us differently to reach different types of people. And that's really important. Yeah. And I just want to, back to Tony's point, we haven't done difference well. I think we haven't done difference well because we haven't understood that God has created us all different to reach different communities and to reach different people. When people walk into the church today or I meet people on the street or whatever, or they're asking me for guidance, I'm like, listen, you don't have to be a pastor to minister to people. You can be whatever and you can be wherever. And God wants to use your unique gifts and your unique influence to reach a specific type of person and at a specific time in a specific way. And we need it all because it is all a part of the Great Commission. Now, I'm getting way off topic, but I want to stop there. No, it's good. I don't think the Great Commission is off topic when you're talking about what is the church. Hello, yeah. I think that's right on. <laughs> oh, that's so good, Sam. I appreciate all that insight. It really, it's, it's so true. There in Romans 12, we end that reading day with just these two little verses 
Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I love that, like, because being members of the body of Christ also means that we are members of one another. It should be impossible for us to isolate, right? Like, we are members of one another. Um, we should live together, suffer together, rejoice together, all of it. It's so good. I'm so thankful for the work you all are doing to to bring that calling and vision to bear in your communities. All right, y'all. We're just going to keep hopping. Day 10, we get to talk about the church is the shepherd's flock. Now, here's what I love. I love the order in which this series is taking us because we are kind of like, we're high level up here, right? And we're kind of zooming in a little bit more and a little bit more. And so we're talking in this day that, you know, the church is the shepherd's flock and the shepherd is Jesus. And so it says here that Jesus' love for the church, this is our summary statement, Jesus' love for the church is expressed through the imagery of a perfect shepherd and his flock. Unlike the negligent shepherds who previously led God's people, Jesus delights to search for, to gather and tend his flock, even laying down his life for his sheep. And so you can see how some of these images kind of parallel and overlap one another, but kind of emphasize different characteristics of this relationship between God and the church. And we just, we read a whole chapter from Ezekiel in this reading day, which is actually really fun because we just read Ezekiel for Lent, the She Reads Truth community did. And so you all listening, you'll remember this passage about the shepherds and how God was saying through Ezekiel, he was saying to the shepherds, woe to you, these shepherds who have been feeding themselves, shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? And so it's this picture of these negligent, flawed, to put it nicely, shepherds. And it's this moment where God says, I'm going to shepherd my people. I am going to be the shepherd, and I'm going to rescue them, and I'm going to gather them, and I'm going to tend them. And it's so, so beautiful. So if you haven't read that, you all go through and read that chapter. But I'm going to fast forward us to the John passage where Jesus says, one of his I am statements, right? Like, I am the good shepherd. Sam, I'm thinking of you. Here's what I want to explore for just a minute. I think a lot of us are familiar with this passage, that I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He knows his sheep. You know, now I'm paraphrasing, and the sheep know me. There's one flock. There's one shepherd. It's so important for us to remember that the church belongs to the Lord, belongs to Jesus as the good shepherd. Before, in a couple weeks, we're going to get to the notion of the church as shepherds tending to the flock, right? But we are not. We humans, not the ultimate shepherd. (laughs) And just like you said with marriage, like it's so important to understand the design of this relationship and who's actually at the head of it. Yeah. I love this idea of the shepherd. I think for me, and maybe for many of you listening, growing up, I really did not have a picture of God in this way and of who Jesus was. It was not a shepherd guiding Mm -hmm. me and coming after me and deciding to rescue me. It was this big, mean God, okay, with his fingers shaken up Mm -hmm. in heaven, 
saying, if you don't get this right, you're going to be in big trouble and I'm not going to love you. And that's the God and the image that I think was planted on the inside of my heart. And what happens is that when we start to thwart the character of Jesus, especially as churchgoers, especially as people that are a part of the, even the big C church, Christians in general, we start to look for perfection in humans and leaders. And we're just not that. We, we are just not. We are not this perfect mm-hmm. shepherd who seeks the lost, brings back the strays, bandages the injured, and strengthens the weak. I mean, Paul says it yeah. in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, we don't trade our weakness for each other's weaknesses. What we do is we trade our weakness for the power of Christ. And that's what happens when you embrace the shepherd. And I just think we would have, I don't know, maybe a more beautiful relationship with Christ that then trickles over to a really beautiful body of Christ if we can just yes. submit to the shepherd and let him carry us and tend to our wounds and be really, really close. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Or that the Holy Spirit in us, that gift of the Holy Spirit, which is what we'll talk about on Thursday, is the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That this is the way, and I love how they put it in this summary, that the Holy Spirit fills Mm. and fuels the church with God's power to preach the gospel, to serve others, to repent, that we even need that to Mm. repent and to increasingly live in freedom. And it's, you know, that Holy Spirit, it's hard for me. I'm still learning the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm still learning what it means, and I will be forever, right? And, and until Jesus comes back, learning what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But something that struck me in this is not just, you know, we see that the Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus. And then, you know, we get to read in Acts 2 about how the Holy Spirit was poured out on believers at Pentecost. But what really struck me in this reading was the part later in Acts 2, in verse 37, where it says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter, brothers, what should we do? So they've seen what has taken place, right? And Peter says, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And it struck me that like this infilling of the Holy Spirit, yes, it is promised to me, and God, it is Jesus' gift to us that we have His Spirit within us. But ultimately, the purpose is for Him, <laughs> that it is through that Holy Spirit in me that in each of us that He calls others and draws others to Himself. That it's another one of those moments where I go, oh, this is another thing that's not about me. <laughs> that it's not just about yeah my sanctification and my becoming like Jesus. Yes, that is what the Holy Spirit does, but for His glory, right? It's for my good, but it's for His glory. And just like each of these other images, you know, Christ is at the head, and this is is about Him. It's about Him. Yeah, and listen, the Holy Spirit, right? You know, we could be here all day. I love the distinction here. And we're back to this order, this word order, right? Like 
order. Yes. Why do we have the spirit? <laughs> and this idea of order, this idea of ownership, this idea, you know, in terms of God owning, Christ owning for the purpose of rebuilding and other things. And, you know, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do so many things. It's interesting mm-hmm. to me, the Holy Spirit, if we were to really be honest and real and think about every other religion in the world, what's distinctive about Christianity besides the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we have access to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us. That is distinct. God is with us. Woo! Sorry. With us. And Friday, we'll read that the church is the temple of the living God. That is mind-blowing that we as the people of God, that God dwells in and among us, that what marks us as the church, one of the things that marks us as the church is actually that God dwells in and among us. Yeah. I think it's my daughter says all the time, she's like, mom, can you call God for me? Like, can you just send him a quick little texty text? And uh, we were sitting in church the other day and she asked again, oh, just yesterday. And she asked again and, and she was like, okay, if I write a letter to God, can you make sure he gets it? And those are the opportunities where I get to look my daughter in the eye and say, hey, surprise, whatever you wrote, he's already seen it because he dwells in you. Because you Mm. are a physical representation of an image bearer of who he is. And I do think we forget that, right? Like I feel like my daughter, she's just learning it right now. But I do feel like with the darkness in the world and with everything that we're going through, we forget that we really are image bearers and that there is, you know, a God that is existing among us in all of his divinity. And And it is the very thing that sets us apart. And that shows up tangibly, right? All the time, there are people that are like, man, why was that person so nice? There was just something so different about them. Why were they so peace-filled? Why were they so patient? Why were they so gentle with me, even though I went off on them or something crazy happened? And those are the moments where as, you know, people that are a part of the body of Christ, where we get to say, oh, honestly, I probably would have, I would have yelled at you. But because the spirit of the living God is on the inside of me, I had the power, as Sam said, to refrain from going off on you. I had the power to remain patient. I had the power to be gentle. And that's just something beautiful that we can access that, I mean, at least just makes life a little easier, you know, because we crazy out here. Okay. (laughs) But we have his power. We crazy. We crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And You know, Tony, I think that something I was thinking about in this notion of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. Like, I love all these images. And I was thinking about that passage in 1 Corinthians 6, that I think that we, you were talking about putting God in a box earlier about the way that He works. This is one of those passages that I fear that we put in a box. It's, don't you know that your body is a temple? of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. I can't tell you how many times I have heard this referred to only in the context, and I'm not saying this context is wrong, I just think that it's limiting, only in the context of health or purity. 
where it's about, you know, exercising and being healthy, which is wonderful, sexual purity, which is good and holy and appropriate. But I think we need to broaden our lens a little bit. It's about more than that. It's about the indwelling of the spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I love it too, Amanda, because... When we limit it, essentially what we're doing is saying, I'm going to be holy, but only in these areas. That's what we start to train our mind around, right? Like if I can just, and and let's be honest, there are women that are listening right now that are like, yeah, that's what I thought. As long as I didn't have sex, if we're just going to go there. And as long as I didn't do this thing, get a tattoo, get a piercing, I'm straight. Like, and well, first of all, we've seen all out like rebuttal of that. But I think it is because when you start to limit it in that way, there is a subgroup that gets targeted. There is a group that gets focused on for being sacred and holy versus all of us. Where's your holiness in the courtroom? Where's your holiness in the doctor's office? Where's your holiness when you're speaking with your children? Where's your holiness in your marriage? And when we begin to apply that to all of these different areas... First, we broaden the net a little bit and we call everyone to greater, everyone to a more holy and sacred life. But then also we get to see Jesus work in different environments, in different spaces, in different conversations, in different political arguments, if we just going to be real about it. And that's the kind of like representation that I don't know, I at least hope that we start to transition to a little bit so that we can start seeing God saturate the earth, you know? Well, friends... I really do wish that we had all day, and I know that we very much do not have all day, but I am so thankful that you made time to be with us today. We're just, I love learning alongside you and learning from you, and I love this. I'm going to read this passage over us as we close out this this passage from Ephesians 2 that you guys will read on Friday, starting in 19. So then... You, we, y'all, we are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Oh, Lord, make it so. Thank you. Friends, thank you so much for joining us. Thankful for you. Thankful for your ministry. You all listening, we're going to talk about the church for three more weeks. So come on back. And next week, we will have a special guest, but also my compadre. She'll be back. Rachel Myers will be back. So until then, Sam and Tony, what do we tell our friends? Keep Keep opening opening your your Bibles. Bibles.